everyone. This is Mary. Welcome back to Three Fates Decide. I'm with my with one of my co-hosts, Sam. Say hi, Sam. Hello. Our other co-host, unfortunately, is having some technical issues with her computer, so she's not going to be able to join us for this episode tonight. So nope. you do, you just get to listen to the dulcet tones of myself and Sam. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, yes. Um. <laughs> You think you know what we're going to talk about. And welcome back to Three Fates Decide. It just sounds more dramatic that way. All right. So this week we are going to be talking about... But just when you least expect it, we changed the game. One Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. I mean, we always celebrated Easter. You're part of the Half-Blood Prince. So we're going to do another free talk, freestyle thing. No planned discussion. At the end of the day, only one thing matters. We decide. We're going to hit the, the, the main highlights. That is the thing that we were saying back in that episode. Quick recap. Three Fates Decide podcast. Okay, tonight we're, we're going to be talking about a little, something a little different than some of the other things that we've talked about. Um, there's a new Netflix show um, called Dahmer. It's about the serial killer, Jeffrey Dahmer. So we're going to talk a little bit about who he was, kind of like his early life and the things that led up to him becoming a serial killer slash cannibal slash God knows what else. And then um, about his incarceration and subsequent death in prison. So I guess do a little trigger warning. Uh, Obviously we won't get overly graphic but we'll we'll probably explain some of the things that did to these poor people yes um and then i actually have a little psa at at the end that i'll i'll talk about also sounds good because i've just noticed a trend online with with stuff like this so (laughs) yes oh and i i i understand exactly where you're going with it too yes 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 (laughs) um (laughs) so jeffrey lionel Dahmer is his full name. He was born on May 21st, 1960 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He is also known as the Milwaukee Cannibal or the Milwaukee Monster. And he was a serial killer and a sex offender who committed the murder and dismemberment of 17 men and boys between the years of 1978 and 1991. And a lot of his later murders involved necrophilia, cannibalism, and the permanent uh, preservation of body parts, mostly like bones, like the spot, the the skeleton. At his trial, even though he was technically diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, schizo um, personality disorder. Yeah, I couldn't even. Thank you. Yeah, he was found to be legally sane, so. He couldn't plead insanity on this. They were going for him. And as a result, he was convicted of 15 of the 16 murders uh, in Wisconsin and was given a sentence of 15 terms of life imprisonment. Then they added a 16th uh, for the additional homicide that he committed in Ohio in 1978. Yes. So his entire sentence was... um... 900 and let me see i have the number here yeah 900 no 957 years 
Oh, 57. That was, okay. He was sentenced to 15 life terms for a total of 957 years in prison. Crazy. Crazy. That, it has that, 17 victims. So, like, that that's, like, the thing that stinks is, like... Yeah. I mean, they got the one from Ohio, but there's one that he, you know... Has never admitted to, and but we know he's killed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, just slight... Uh, background i'm going to try and go through this slightly quickly but it is kind of important i think to lay the groundwork as to how he became who he became yes um so as i mentioned he was born in milwaukee he was the first of two sons um his mother's name was joy's father lionel and there's some mixed sources some say he was like deprived of attention when he was a baby some others say that he was like you know given so much attention whatever but definitely as he got older uh he didn't get a lot of attention from his parents like in first grade um his father Lionel was going to college for his studies and that kept him away from home for a lot of time so um Jeffrey was at home with his mom who had who was a hypochondriac and had depression and demanded a lot of attention and spent a lot of time in bed and even attempted suicide at one point and it was just kind of like a crazy time he has said that when he looks back or when he looked back um at his life in an early age he felt unsure about the solidity of the family and he can recall a lot of tension and arguments between his parents there's, again, a lot of conversation about what type of child he was. There's some that say he was energetic and happy and then became notably subdued after he had a double hernia surgery before his fourth birthday, which, Jesus. Wow. <laughs> like, how did, you get, how did you get double hernias? Like, that's crazy. Um, All I can think is he had an umbilical and a inguinal. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Um, that's just, ow. Yeah. I, I mean, regardless of who he was as a as a human being, because he was a scum of the earth, but ow. Yeah. And right yeah. before he was four, before he ever became that scum of the earth. Oh, poor kid. <laughs> I know. That, yeah, that, exactly. That, that just breaks my heart at that age. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But no, anyway. that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, in elementary school, he was regarded as quiet and timid, and one teacher said that she detected kind of early signs of abandonment because his father was always at school and his mother ha was ill and all that stuff. And apparently the symptoms just increased when his brother was born. But apparently he did have a small group of friends. In October of 1966, the family moved to Ohio and his mother gave birth to his brother, who he got to choose the name. He chose David. And then... That same year, his father got his degree and started work as a chemist. So he was very into science. His father was a scientist, you know, a chemist. So that's that's a big thing. Remember that. <laughs> yes. Um, from an early age, Dahmer manifested an interest in dead animals, which is a red flag. Um, and he discovered first this. First of three signs. Yes. He, his fascination started... When he was around, I guess, four, um, he saw his father removing animal bones from beneath the, their house. And his father said he noticed that 
Dahmer was oddly thrilled by the sound the bones made when they would like hit each other and he became very preoccupied with animal bones he started collecting them and he would call them fiddlesticks and he would search everywhere for additional bones and explore he would explore the bodies of live animals to like find out where each bone's located in the body and and stuff like that which is just creepy um uh-huh. <laughs> they a couple years Later, they moved again, still in Ohio, but to a different town. This was actually the third time in two years that they moved. But this home stood on one and a half acres of woodland. And with a small hut being only a short walk from the house. And that's where Dahmer started collecting large insects like dragonflies and moths. And the skeletons of small animals like chipmunks and squirrels. And he would have the remains preserved in jars of formaldehyde and he would stow it in the hut but about two years later they were eating and i guess they were having uh, the the dad said they were having chicken and Dahmer actually asked his dad what would happen if he put the chicken bones in bleach and his father thought oh he's into chemistry and you know yay and he should actually yes he did a demonstration about how bleach if you safely do it will preserve animal bones. And after that, Dahmer used those techniques to preserve the bones that he was collecting from the animals. And then apparently in one instance in 1975, Dahmer decapitated the carcass of a dog before nailing the body to a tree and impaling the skull upon a stick in the woodland behind his house. As a prank, he later invited a friend to view the display claiming he had discovered the remains by chance. And then that, that same year that, um, you know, the father taught him how to preserve the bones and everything, his mother just really started going at it with drugs and stuff like that, sleeping pills, and, and basically was in such a depression that she had minimal contact with her kids or her husband. So basically she would be in bed all day, the boys would be able to do whatever they want while the husband worked. So you can see how well this is going to go. Yeah. I mean, already you can kind of see at least one of the three hallmarks. Yeah. Just, yeah. So going into high school, he was an outcast. By age 14, he already started drinking beer and alcohol during the day. um, And he would conceal his liquor while in school. He eventually discovered that he was gay. But he did not tell his parents. And he did have a brief relationship with a teenage boy, but they never had intercourse or anything. But Dahmer did later admit that he began fantasizing about dominating and controlling a completely submissive male partner in his early mid-teens. And his fantasies gradually evolved into focusing upon the chest and torsos of the focus of his fantasies. These fantasies gradually became intertwined with dissection. When he was 16, Dahmer then started to have a fa- fantasy of rendering unconscious, rendering an unconscious particular male jogger that he found really attractive and making sexual use of his body. On one occasion, Dahmer concealed himself in the bushes with a baseball bat to lie in wait for the man. However, he did not pass by on that particular day. And Dahmer later admitted that this was his first attempt to attack and render the individual submissive to him. Eventually, Dahmer became kind of like the class clown 
in school, often staging pranks. And I guess pranks were known as doing a Dahmer. And this included bleeding and simulating epileptic seizures and or cerebral palsy at school and local stores. That's not even funny. Neither one of those is funny. Like, I don't get, like, I don't, I don't understand that. Um, but he would perform these antics for money or so that he could buy more alcohol. Um, by 1977, his grades had started to decline. His parents hired a private tutor, and that didn't really help. And then that year, to try and save their marriage, his parents started to attend counseling sessions. That didn't they, help. <laughs> they started to fight a lot. And then uh, his dad found out his mom had cheated on him and had a brief affair. And they both decided to divorce, telling their sons that they were going to do it amicably. Lionel moved out of the house in 1978. Same year that Dahmer graduated from high school. And then they found then the, his parent, his mom and his brother moved out of the house right after he graduated high school. And so he remained in the family home. Therefore... He was alone in the home at 18, living alone. And three weeks after he graduated is when he cre- is when he uh, committed his first murder. Yes. He picked, on June 18th, he picked up a hitchhiker by the name of Stephen Mark Hicks, who is almost 19 years old. He lured the, 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 the man to his home on uh, the pretext of drinking, of just having some fun and drinking. They were going to, he was, Hicks was going to a Chippewa Lake Park, Ohio for a rock concert. And he agreed to accompany Dahmer to his house upon the promise of a few beers with Dahmer as he had the house to himself. According to Dahmer, the sight of the bare-chested Hicks standing at the roadside stirred his sexual feelings. Unfortunately for Dahmer, Hicks was straight, so he knew that anything that he did was never going to work. They hung out for a couple of hours drinking and talking, and then Hicks wanted to leave, and Dahmer was not happy about that. So therefore, Dahmer bludgeoned Hicks with a 10-pound dumbbell. He stated he struck Hicks twice from behind with the dumbbell as Hicks was sitting sitting in front of him. When When he passed out, Dahmer strangled him to death with the bar of the dumbbell, then stripped the clothes from Hicks's body, exploring his chest with his hands and then masturbating as he stood above the corpse. The following day, Dahmer dissected Hicks's body in his basement. He later buried the remains in a shallow grave in his backyard. Then several weeks later, he dug up those remains, pared the flesh from the bones. He dissolved the flesh in acid before flushing the solution down the toilet. He crushed the bones with a sledgehammer and scattered them in the woodland woodland behind the family home. Jesus. Yes, that this this was a very this was his very first murder, and he literally the only reason he did it is because he did not want Hicks to leave. There was no other motivation. After that, about a month and a half after that, his his father and his father's fiance returned to the home where they found Jeffrey was living there. So Dahmer enrolled in Ohio State University, hoping to major in business. However, it did not work because of his persistent alcohol abuse and alcoholism. He he failed everything. And then dropped out. <laughs> then dropped out. <laughs> then his father decided basically told him he's he's got to enlist in the army, which he did. And he was in the army and he was a uh was it medic, I think? Yes. 
he's he was in he he served as a combat medic in Germany from 1979 to 1981. But he was still drinking and he never kicked the habit of drinking. So he was I'm assuming he was dishonorably discharged. Nope, it was honorable. It was an honorable discharge. Oh my. Mm-hmm. He didn't so his superiors did not believe that any of the problems Dahmer had in the army would be uh, applicable to civilian life. Yeah. So right, just because okay. he was, yeah. Man, were they wrong. Yeah, just a little bit. After the army, he went down to Miami Beach uh, and spent a couple of months down there before subsequently moving back up to Ohio to live with his father and stepmom. They tried to get him off of alcohol. It did not work. So they sent him to live in Wisconsin, in West Alice, Wisconsin, because that because his to live with his grandmother, because she was the only family member who who Dahmer displayed any type of affection for. They had hoped that her influence plus the change of location might persuade Dahmer to quit drinking, find a job and live responsibly. Unfortunately, that didn't really work well. He's had a lot of jobs. Yes, a a lot of jobs. He. he did get a job working in early 1982 of working as a phlebotomist at the Milwaukee Blood Plasma Center. And he held this job for a total of 10 months before before being laid off. And then he remained unemployed for, for over two years. Um, and shortly before losing this, before losing that job, he was arrested for indecent exposure at the Wisconsin State Fair. <laughs> Mm. Apparently, what was it? Let's see, on the south side of the Coliseum. Coliseum, in which 25 people were present, including women and children. Jesus. <sighs> so, and then in January of 1985, Dahmer was hired as a mixer at the Milwaukee Ambrosia Chocolate Factory. Shortly after, he found this job. An incident occurred in which he was propositioned by another man while sitting, reading in the West Alice Public Library. The stranger through Dahmer a note offering to perform fellatio, or oral sex, on him. Dahmer did not respond to this proposition. The incident stirred in his mind the fantasies of control and dominance he had developed as a teenager. And he began to familiarize himself with Milwaukee's gay bars, gay bathhouses, and bookhouses, or bookstores. He was known to have stolen a male mannequin from a store, which he briefly used for sexual stimulation, until his grandmother d- discovered the item stowed in a closet and demanded that he discard it. By late 1985, Dahmer had begun to regularly frequent the bathhouses, which he later described as being relaxing places. But during his sexual encounters, he became frustrated at his partner's moving during the act. For this reason, beginning in June of 1986, he, administ- he administered sleeping pills to his partners, giving them liquor laced with sedatives. He then waited for his partners to fall asleep before performing various sexual acts. To maintain an adequate supply of this medication, Dahmer informed doctors he worked nights and required the tablets to adjust to that schedule. After approximately 12 of such instances, the bathhouse's administration revoked Dahmer's membership, and he began to use rooms to continue this practice. Shortly after his bathhouse memberships were revoked, Dahmer read a report in a newspaper regarding the upcoming funeral of an 18-year-old man. He conceived the idea of stealing the freshly interred corpse and taking it 
home. According to Dahmer, he attempted to dig up the coffin from the ground, but found the soil too hard and abandoned the plan. Red flag. Yeah, that that's not a flag. That's a, I don't even know. <laughs> that's a fucking parade. Yeah. <laughs> On September 8th, 1986, Dahmer was arrested upon a charge of lewd and lavicious behavior for masturbating in the presence of two 12-year-old boys as he stood close to the Kinnick Kinnick River. I think that's how you pronounce that. Yeah. I have no right. Yeah. He initially claimed he had merely been urinating, unaware that there were witnesses, but soon admitted to the offense. The charge was changed to disorderly conduct, and on March 10, 1987, Dahmer was sentenced to one year of probation with additional instructions to undergo counseling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. <sighs> yes. So from here out is kind of where Dahmer's killing spree started. I'm going to kind of go through them one by one, but kind of quickly because they're pretty continuous. Prior to this, he hadn't done a murder in about nine years. So on November 20th, 1987, he met Stephen Walter Toomey, who was 25, and he was killed in a rented room at the Ambassador Hotel in Milwaukee. Dahmer claims to have absolutely zero memory of murdering this man. He, you know, states that he kind of woke up and noticed that his chest was kind of caved in and he had blood all over him. So he must have battered him to death in a drunken stupor. Uh, after that, his body was eventually dismembered in the basement of Dahmer's grandmother's house and the remains were discarded into the trash. No remains were ever found. This is the one murder that he was not charged with because there was no evidence of the murder. Um, for two weeks following the murder, Dahmer uh, retained the victim's head wrapped in a blanket. And then yes. uh, he boiled the head in a mixture of Soylex and bleach in an effort to retain the skull, which he then used as stimulus for masturbation. Eventually, the skull was rendered too brittle by the bleaching process, so Dahmer pulverized it and disposed of it. Um, following, yeah. Yeah, following that murder, Dahmer then began to actively seek victims, uh, most of whom he encountered in or close to gay bars or um, anyone. To, and he typically would lure them to his grandmother's home. He would drug the victims with uh, triazolam or temazepam, which is sedatives, and then engage in sexual activity. Once he had rendered victims unconscious with sleeping pills, he'd kill them by strangulation. Okay, so then two months later, he met James Edward Doxator, uh, who was 14 years old, outside of a gay bar in Wisconsin. He was lured to his grandmother's house on the pretext of earning about $50 for posing for new pictures. Dahmer then strangled Doxtator and kept his body in the basement for a week before mis- dismembering him and discarding the remains in the trash. No remains were ever found for him either. On March 24th, 1988, Dahmer met a 22-year-old bisexual man, uh, Richard Guero, outside a gay bar called the Phoenix. He lured him to his grandmother's residence on the incentive um, of $50 to spend the night with him. 
He then drugged him with sleeping pills, strangled him with the leather strap, and then Dahmer performed oral sex on the corpse. Dahmer dismembered the body within 24 hours of murdering him, again disposing of the remains in the trash and retaining the skull before pulverizing it several months later. On April 23rd, Dahmer lured another young man to his house. However, after giving the victim a drugged coffee, both he and the intended victim heard Dahmer's grandmother call. Is that you, Jeff? Although Dahmer replied in a manner that led his grandmother to believe he was alone, she observed that Dahmer was not alone. Because of this, Dahmer opted not to kill this particular victim, instead waiting until he had become unconscious before taking him to the county general hospital. Ooh, Grandma saved you. Yes. In September of 1988, Dahmer's grandmother asked him to move out, largely because of his drinking, his habit of bringing young men to her house late at night, and the foul smells occasionally emanating from both the basement and the garage. Dahmer found a one-bedroom apartment at at 808 North 24th Street and moved into his new residence on September 25th. Two days later, he was arrested for drugging and sexually fondling a 13-year-old boy whom he had lured to his home on the pretext of posing nude for for photos. His father hired an attorney named Gerald Boyle to defend him. Um, Under Boyle's request, Dahmer went under a series of psychological evaluations prior to the court hearings, and they revealed that Dahmer harbored deep feels of alienation. A second evaluation two months later revealed that Dahmer to be an impulsive individual, suspicious of others, and dismayed by his lack of accomplishments in his life. His probation officer also referenced a 1987 diagnosis of schizoid personality disorder for the presentation of the court. On January 30th, 1989, he pleaded guilty to the charges of second-degree sexual assault and of enticing a child for immoral purposes. Sentencing for the assault was suspended until May. On March 20th, he commenced a 10-day Easter absence from work, during which he moved back into his grandmother's home. Two months after his conviction, and two months prior to his sentencing for the sexual assault, Dahmer murdered his fifth victim, a mixed-race 24-year-old aspiring model named Anthony Sears, whom Dahmer met at a gay bar on March 25, 1989. He lured Sears to his grandmother's home where the pair engaged in oral sex before Dahmer drugged and strangled Sears. The following morning, Dahmer placed the corpse in his grandmother's bathtub where he decapitated the body before attempting to flay the corpse. He stripped the flesh from the body and pulverized the bones, which he disposed of in the trash. According to Dahmer, he found Sears exceptionally attractive and Sears was the first victim from whom he permanently retained any body parts. He preserved Sears' head and genitalia in acetone and stored them in a wooden box, which he later placed in his work locker. When he moved to a new address the following year, he took the remains there. May 23, 1989, he was sentenced to five years probation and one year in the House of Correction, with work release permitted in order to be able to keep his job. He was also required to register as a sex offender. Two months before his scheduled release from the work camp, he, uh, he was paroled. Uh, on release, he, w- he temporarily moved back into his grandmother's home 
in May of 1990, he moved to the Oxford Apartments located on North 25th Street in Milwaukee. It was a high crime area. The apartment was close to his workplace. Within one week of moving into his new apartment, he killed his next victim, who was known as Raymond Lamont Smith or Ricky Beeks, who was 32. He was the first victim to be killed in the North 25th Street apartment. He was a male sex worker whom Dahmer encountered at a tavern. Inside the apartment, he gave Smith a, a drink laced with seven sleeping pills, then manually strangled him. The following day, Dahmer purchased a Polaroid camera with which he took several pictures of Smith's body in suggestive positions before dismembering him in the bathroom. He boiled the legs, arms, and pelvis in a steel kettle with Soylex, which allowed him to rinse the bones in his sink. Dahmer dissolved the remainder of Smith's skeleton, excluding the skull, in a container filled with acid. He later spray-painted Smith's skull, which he placed alongside the skull of Sears, on a black towel inside a metal filing cabinet. About one week later, um, around the end of May, he lured another young man to his apartment. But unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately for the guy, Dahmer yeah. accidentally consumed the drink that had the sedatives that was supposed to go to his guest. And when he awoke, he discovered that the victim had stolen several items from him, including clothing, $300, a watch. He never reported the incident to the police. On May 29th, he divulged to his probation officer that he had been robbed. But he didn't want to go to the police because obviously he had some crazy stuff in there. In June 1990, Dahmer lured a 27-year-old acquaintance named Edward Smith to his apartment. He drugged, he drugged and, and strangled Smith. On this occasion, rather than immediately assifying the skeleton or repeating previous processes of bleaching, which had rendered the previous skull, victim skulls brittle, Dahmer placed Smith's skeleton in his freezer for several months in the hope that it would not retain moisture. Freezing the skeleton did not remove moisture, and the skeleton of this victim was assified several months later. Dahmer accidentally destroyed the skull when he placed it in the oven to dry. Uh, less than three months after the murder of Smith, he encountered 22-year-old Chicago native Ernest Miller outside of a bookstore. Um, Miller agreed to accompany Dahmer to his apartment, again for $50, and further agreed to allow him to listen to his heart and stomach. When Dahmer attempted to perform oral sex upon Miller, he was informed that'll cost you extra. Whereupon Dahmer gave his intended victim a drink laced with two sleeping pills. Um, on this occasion, Dahmer had only two sleeping pills to give his victim. Therefore, he killed Miller by slashing his carotid artery with the same knife he used to dissect the victim's bodies. Miller bled to death within minutes. Dahmer then posed the nude body for various suggestive Polaroid photographs before placing it in the bathtub for dismemberment. He repeatedly kissed and talked to the severed head while he dismembered the remainder of the body. He wrapped uh, the heart, biceps, and portions of flesh from the legs in plastic bags and placed them in the fridge for later consumption. But this sounds like this was the That's first guy that he actually considered eating. Yeah, I think I think he might have been. Three weeks after the murder of Miller, on September 24th, Dahmer encountered a 22-year-old man named David Thomas at the Grand Avenue Mall. He persuaded him to return to his apartment for a few drinks with additional money on offer if he would pose for photographs. In his statement to police after his arrest, 
Dahmer stated that after giving Thomas a drink laden with sedatives, he did not feel attracted to him, but was afraid to allow him to awake in case he would be angry over having been drugged. Therefore, he strangled him and dismembered the body, intentionally retaining no body parts whatsoever. He photographed the dismemberment process and retained these photographs, which later aided in Thomas's identification. Following the murder of Thomas, Dahmer did not kill anyone for almost five months, although on a minimum of five occasions between October 1990 and February 1991, he unsuccessfully attempted to lure men to his apartment. He is known to have regularly complained of feeling of feelings of both anxiety and depression to his probation officer throughout 1990, with frequent references to his, sexual, his sexuality, his solitary lifestyle, and financial difficulties. On several occasions, Dahmer is known to have re referred to harboring suicidal thoughts. Here's my question. He's on probation. Yes. He has a probation officer. Don't they do apartment yes. checks? You would think, but I don't know why they were not doing apartment checks back then. Like... I don't know. I know. Uh, February 1991, he observed a 17-year-old named Curtis Strouder standing at a bus stop near Marquis University. And according to Dahmer, he lured Strouder into his apartment with an offer of money for posing for nude photos. With the added incentive of sexual intercourse, he then drugged Strouder, cuffed his hands behind his back, and then strangled him to death the leather strap he then dismembered him retaining the youth skull hands and genitals less than two months Jesus. later uh april 7th he encountered a 19 year old named errol Lindsay walking uh to get a key out uh he was heterosexual he wasn't gay and he lured Lindsay to his apartment where he drugged him drilled a hole in his skull and poured hydrochloric acid into it According to Dahmer, Lindsay awoke after this experiment, uh, which Dahmer had conceived in the hope of inducing permanent, unresistant, submissive state, saying, I have a headache. What time is it? In response to this, Dahmer again drugged Lindsay and then strangled him. He decapitated Lindsay and retained his skull. He then flayed Lindsay's body, placing the skin in a solution of cold water and salt for several weeks in the hope of permanently retaining it. Yeah, I just here's my whole thing. So this guy was straight. How did he lure him to the apartment? They didn't. They don't say. It doesn't say, but it just he just he did. I don't know how. I'm wondering if it wasn't drugs. Maybe. Yeah, I'm sure he, he found something. Yeah, but it's just it's just so yeah. sad. These poor guys. I know. For his next victim, Dahmer lured Tony Anthony Hughes, who was 31, to his apartment upon the promise of posing uh, nude for photographs. Hughes was actually deaf, and him and Dahmer communicated using handwritten notes. He was strangled, and his body was left on Dahmer's bedroom floor for three days before being dismembered, with Dahmer uh, photographing the dismemberment process. His skull was retained and identified from his dental records, which is so sad. By 1991, fellow residents of the Oxford Apartments had repeatedly complained to the building's manager, Sopa Princewell, of the foul smells emanating from apartment 213, in addition to the sounds of falling objects and occasional sound of a chainsaw. Princewell contacted Dahmer in response to these complaints on several occasions, although he initially 
excuse the odors emanating from his apartment as being caused by his freezer breaking, causing the contents to become spoiled. On later occasions, he informed Principal that the reason for the resurgence of the odor was that several of his tropical fish had recently died, and that he would take care of the matter. This next victim is definitely one that I consider probably the saddest, and that is Conorak Synthosomphone. And I apologize if I totally just butchered that name, but he was only 14 years old. He was the younger brother of the boy that Dahmer had sexually assaulted back in 1988. Conorak was lured there uh, under the pretense of, again, posing for photos, for money. Uh, he was drugged and had, and had um, hydrochloric acid injected into his brain. Dahmer eventually left him unattended in the apartment to go get some beer. And when he came back, he found that Conorak was naked and very disoriented out on the street. And there was three women who spoke his foreign language uh, attempting to assist him. They also called the police and, you know, Dahmer had tried to bring him back inside, but the women wouldn't let him until the police came. Um, when they arrived... Dahmer persuaded them um, that he and Conorak were lovers and that Conorak was actually 19 years old and that he was just really drunk. Uh, the police went up to the apartment with Dahmer and, you know, looked around. Even though Tony's body was there, they didn't see it, even though it was laying on the floor. They said they didn't smell anything weird, and they just chucked it up to, you know, this young guy who is apparently 19 and not 14 was drunk and left him. Dahmer then injected him again with hydrochloric acid into his brain, and that actually killed him. Uh, he did keep his head in the, in the freezer and then dismembered the rest of his body. And the reason why I consider this so sad is this kid almost got away. And because the cops didn't look into it further, even though the women on the street were adamant that there was something wrong, he went, they allowed him to go back in with this serial killer and it eventually cost him his life. Yes. On June 30th, Dahmer traveled to Chicago where he encountered a 20-year-old named Matt Turner at a bus station. Turner accepted Dahmer's offer to travel to Milwaukee for a professional photo shoot. At the apartment, Dahmer drugged, strangled, and dismembered Turner and placed his head and internal organs in separate plastic bags in the freezer. Turner was not reported missing. Five days later, on July 5th, Dahmer lured 23-year-old Jeremiah Weinberger from a Chicago bar to his apartment on the promise of spending the weekend with him. He drugged Weinberger and twice injected boiling water through his skull, oh. sending him into a coma from which he died two days later. Jesus. I know. I, it, it's getting worse. Well, he's almost done now. I know, but it's just I know. Like, it's no, just these, it's, I, I just can't help but feel for these it, poor it, guys. Oh, I, I feel absolutely awful for all of them. I seriously, I mean, I know we're half, we're almost through this, but trigger warnings, this is very bad. Yeah. Very bad stuff. Um, on July 15th, he encountered 24-year-old Oliver Lacey, 
and Lacey agreed to Dahmer's ruse of posing nude for photographs and accompanied him to his apartment, where the pair engaged in tentative sexual activity before Dahmer drugged him. On this occasion, Dahmer intended to prolong the time he spent with Lacey while alive. After unsuccessfully attempting to render Lacey unconscious with chloroform, he phoned his workplace to request a day's absence. This was granted, although the next day he was suspended. Uh, he then strangled Lacey, and then Dahmer had sex with the corpse before dismembering him. He placed Lacey's head and heart in the refrigerator and his skeleton in the freezer. Four days later, on July 19th, he received word that he was fired. Upon receipt of this news, he lured 25-year-old Joseph Bradhoft to his apartment. Bradhoff was strangled and left lying on Dahmer's bed covered with a sheet for two days. On July 21st, he removed the sheets to find the head covered with maggots. He decapitated the body, cleaned the head, and placed it in the refrigerator. He later uh, acidified Bradhoff's torso along with those of two other victims killed within the previous month. Ugh. On July 22nd, 1991, now we're getting into his, his, his capture and arrest. Dahmer approached three men with an offer of $100 to accompany him to his apartment to pose for nude photographs, drink beer, and simply keep him company. One of the trio, 32-year-old Tracy Edwards, agreed to accompany him to his apartment. Upon entering Dahmer's apartment, Edward noted a foul odor and several boxes of hydrochloric acid on the floor, which Dahmer claimed to use for cleaning bricks. After some minor conversation, Edward responded to Dahmer's request to turn his head and view his tropical fish, whereupon Dahmer placed a handcuff upon his wrist. When Edwards asked what's happening, Dahmer unsuccessfully attempted to cuff his wrists, to his wrists together then told Edwards to accompany him to the bedroom to pose for nude pictures. While inside the bedroom, Edward noted nude male posters on the wall and that a videotape of The Exorcist 3 was playing. He also noted a blue 57-gallon drum in the corner from which a strong odor emanated. Dahmer then brandished a knife and informed Edwards he intended to take nude nude pictures of him. In an attempt to appease Dahmer, Edwards unbuttoned his shirt, saying he would allow him to do so if he would remove the handcuffs and put the knife away. In response to this promise, Dahmer simply turned his attention towards the TV. Edwards observed Dahmer rocking back and forth and chanting before turning his attention back to him. He placed his head on Edwards' chest, listened to his heartbeat, and with the knife pressed against his intended victim, informed Edwards he intended to eat his heart. Mm. Jeez. In continuous attempts to prevent Dahmer from attacking him, Edwards repeated that he was Dahmer's friend and that he, wouldn't, he was not going to run away. Edwards had decided he was going to either jump from a window and, or run through the unlocked front door upon the next available opportunity. When Edwards stated, next stated he needed to use the bathroom, he asked if they could sit with a beer in the living room where there was air conditioning. Dahmer consented and the pair walked to the living room when Edwards exited the bathroom. Inside the living room, Edwards waited until he observed Dahmer have a momentary lapse of concentration before requesting to use the bathroom again. When Edwards rose from the couch, he noted Dahmer was not holding the handcuffs, 
Whereupon, Edwards punched him in the face, knocking Dahmer off balance and ran out the front door. Uh, around 11.30 p.m. on the 20, uh, July 22nd, Edwards flagged down two Milwaukee police officers uh, at the corner of North 25th Street. The officers noted Edwards had a handcuff attached to his wrist, and he explained to the officers that a freak had placed the handcuffs upon him and asked if the police could remove them. When the officers... Handcuff keys failed to fit the brand of handcuffs. Edwards agreed to accompany the officers to the apartment where Edwards stated that he had spent the previous five hours before escaping. When the officers and Edwards arrived at the apartment, Dahmer invited the trio inside and acknowledged that he had placed the handcuffs upon Edwards, although he offered no explanation as to why. At this point, Edwards divulged to the officers that Dahmer had also brandished a large knife upon him and that this happened in the bedroom. Dahmer made no comment to this re uh, revelation, indicating to one of the officers, Mueller, that the key to the handcuffs was on the bedside dresser. Um, when, as Mueller entered the bedroom, Dahmer attempted to pass him to retrieve the key himself, but the second officer, Routh, informed him to back off. In the bedroom, Mueller noted that there was a large knife beneath the bed, he saw an open drawer, which upon closer inspection contained scores of Polaroid pictures, many of which were of human bodies in various stages of dismemberment. Mueller noted the decor indicated that it had been taken in the same apartment in which they were currently standing in, and he walked into the living room to show them to his partner, uttering the words, These are for real. When Dahmer saw that Mueller was holding several of his Polaroids, he fought with officers in an effort to resist arrest. The officers quickly overpowered him, cuffed his hands behind his back, and called a second squad car for backup. At this point, Mueller opened the refrigerator to reveal the, the freshly severed head of a black male on the bottom shelf. As Dahmer lay pinned on the floor beneath Roth, he turned his head towards the officers and muttered the words, For what I did, I should be dead. A more detailed search of the apartment conducted by Milwaukee's police, police's Criminal Investigations Bureau revealed a total of four severed heads in Dahmer's kitchen. A total of seven skulls, some painted, some bleached, were found in Dahmer's bedroom and inside a closet. The investigators discovered collected blood drippings upon a tray at the bottom of Dahmer's refrigerator, plus two human hearts, a portion of arm muscle, each wrapped inside plastic bags upon the shelves. In Dahmer's freezer, investigators discovered an entire torso, plus a bag of human organs and flesh stuck to the ice at the bottom. Elsewhere in the apartment, investigators discovered two entire skeletons, a pair of severed hands, two severed and preserved penises, a mummified scalp, and in the 57-gallon drum, three further dismembered torsos dissolving in acid solution total of 74 Polaroid pictures detailing the dismemberment of Dahmer's victims were found. In reference to the recovery of body parts and artifacts at the apartment, the chief medical examiner stated, it was more like dismantling someone's museum than an actual crime scene. Mm -mm -mm. So they brought him in, finally. Yes. And the early hours of the next morning, he was questioned by Detective Patrick Kennedy as to the murders he had committed and the evidence found in his apartment. Over the next two weeks, Kennedy and later another detective, Dennis Murphy, conducted numerous interviews with Dahmer, 
which when combined totaled over 60 hours. Dahmer waved his... That's a lot. It's huge. That's exhausting. Mm -hmm. Dahmer waved his right uh, for an attorney present throughout his interrogations, adding he wished to confess all that he had created this horror, and it only makes sense that I do everything to put an end to it. He readily admitted to having murdered 16 young men in Wisconsin since 1987 and one further victim, Stephen Hicks, in Ohio back in 1978. Most of his victims had been rendered unconscious prior to their murder, although some had died as a result of having acid or boiling water injected into their brains, as you recall since we went through all of them. But he has yes. no memory of the murder of the second victim, uh, Stephen Toomey, is that what you said you thought it was? Yeah, I think it's pronounced Toomey. Okay. Um, and he was unsure whether he was just unconscious when the beat, uh, when he was beaten to death. They did concede that it was possible, you know, based on what he saw that in his drunken stupor he could have done it. Um, but Well, he said it's possible that his viewing the exposed chest of Toomey while in a drunken stupor may have led him to unsuccessfully attempt to tear Toomey's heart from his chest. Yeah, disgusting. Um, most, almost all of the murders uh, were committed after moving into the Oxford apartments and involved a ritual of posing the victim's bodies in several suggested positions, typically with the chest thrust outwards prior to dismemberment. Um, he also admitted to engaging in necrophilia, which several of his victims' bodies, in including performing sexual acts with the viscera, as he dismembered, <sighs> yeah, ugh, dismembered Sorry. their bodies in his bathtub. Having noted that much of the blood pooled inside the victim's chest after death, Dahmer first removed their internal organs then suspended the torso so that the blood drained into his bathtub before dicing any organs he did not wish to retain and paring the flesh from the body. The bones he wished to dispose of were pulverized or acidified with Soilex and bleach solutions used to aid in the preservation of the skeletons and skulls he wished to keep. Dahmer also confessed to having consumed the hearts, livers, biceps, and portions of thighs of several victims he had killed within the previous year, often tenderizing the flesh and organs prior to consuming them in meals, flavored with various condiments. Describing the increase in his rate of killing in the two months prior to his arrest, Dahmer stated he had been completely swept along with his compulsion to kill, adding, it was an incessant and never-ending desire to be with someone at whatever cost. Someone good-looking, really nice-looking, just filled my thoughts all day long. When asked as to why he had preserved a total of seven skulls in the entire skeletons of two victims, Dahmer stated he had been in the process of constructing a private altar of victim skulls, which he intended to display on the black table located in his living room and upon which he had photographed the bodies of many of his victims. The display of skulls was to be adorned at each side with the complete skeletons of Miller and Lacey. The four severed heads found in his kitchen were all to have the flesh removed and used in this altar, as was the skull of at least one future victim. 
Instant sticks were to be placed at each end of the black table, above which Dahmer intended to place a large blue lamp with extending blue globe lights. The entire construction was to be placed before a window covered with black, with a black opaque shower curtain, in front of which Dahmer intended to sit in a black leather chair. When asked in a November 18, 1991 interview whom the altar was dedicated to, Dahmer replied, Myself. It was a place where I could feel at home. He further described his intended altar as a place for meditation, from where he believed he could draw a sense of power, adding, If this, his arrest, had happened six months later, that's what they would have found. Uh, finally, July 25th, 1991, he was charged with four counts of first-degree murder. By August 22nd, he had been charged with another 11 murders committed in Wisconsin. On September 14th, investigators in Ohio, having uncovered hundreds of bone fragments in the woodland area behind the address where he had lived and confessed to killing his first victim, uh, they were able to identify, they formally identified two molars and vertebra with an x-ray records of Hicks. Three days later, he was charged by the authorities in Ohio for Hicks's murder. He was not charged with attempted murder for Edwards or uh, Toomey. He was not charged with Toomey's murder because the Milwaukee County District Attorney only brought charges where murders could be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. And Dahmer had no memory of actually committing this particular murder for which no physical evidence of the crime existed. At the scheduled preliminary hearing on January 13th, 1992, he pleaded guilty but insane to 15 counts of murder. And as I mentioned before, they said no. And I'm so, that's just, he killed him. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, there's no, like, he dismembered the, that poor guy. Like, it's just. Well, the only one he didn't dismember was, was Toomey. Yeah, he that's didn't true. Dismember that's right. Toomey. He didn't. Yeah. He did not dismember Toomey. I mean, he killed Toomey, but he did not dismember Toomey. So, unfortunately, while he can, while he can, he didn't really confess to the murder. Yeah, he said he didn't remember it. He didn't remember it. But every, but it had to have been him. It could have been nobody else but him. Yeah. So, I don't understand why they never charged him with his murder because just because he quote unquote claims to not have re remembered it doesn't mean he didn't do it. Right. Right. So unfortunately the, the family of Toomey does not have the closure. Right. That the other victims families had. Yeah. Okay. We're not going to go all the way into the, all the trial. No stuff it started but... january 30th uh, 1992 and that was yeah. just for milwaukee the 15 counts mm -hmm. the 15 counts uh, and he uh he he tried to claim he was insane however that he he had no disease or defect at the time he was committing the murder so therefore he's not crazy yeah, on February 15th, uh, he was finally convicted. Um, 
the verdict was said that he was ruled to be completely sane and not suffering from mental disorder at the time of each of the 15 murders for which he was tried. Although on each count, two of the 12 jurors signified their dissent. So I guess it wasn't a, <laughs> not everyone agreed with that. Right. But it still wasn't a hung jury. Right. Um, the sentencing was postponed until February 17th. And Dahmer's on that day, Dahmer's attorney announced that his client wished to address the court. And he approached the lectern and read from a statement prepared by himself and his defense as he faced the judge. Oh boy. Uh, in the statement, he emphasized that he had never desired freedom from his arrest, that he frankly wished for his own death. Uh, he stressed that none of his murders had been motivated by hatred, that he understood that nothing he said or did could undo the terrible harm he had caused the families of these victims in the city of Milwaukee and that he and his doctors believed his criminal behavior had been motiva motivated by mental disorders. He then added that his medical knowledge had given him some peace and that although he understood that society would never forgive him, he hoped God would. And then he just closed with, I know my time in prison will be terrible, but I deserve whatever I get because of what I have done. Thank you, Your Honor, and I am prepared for your sentence, which I know will be the maximum. I ask for no consideration. And then he returned to his seat to await formal sentencing. And he was, as I mentioned earlier, given uh, 15, I'm sorry, life imprisonment plus 10 years upon the first two counts. And then the remaining 13 counts carried a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment plus 70 years. The death penalty was not an option at this point unfortunately and then three months after he was uh, convicted in milwaukee he was extradited to ohio to be tried for the murder of his first victim stephen hicks in a court hearing lasting just 45 minutes dahmer again pled guilty to the charges and was sentenced to a 16th term of life imprisonment on may 1st 1992 whereupon he was sentenced he was transferred to the columbia correctional institution for the first year of his incarceration, Dahmer was placed in solitary confinement due to concerns for his physical safety should he come in contact with fellow inmates. With Dahmer's consent, after one year in solitary confinement, he was transferred to a less secure facility where he was assigned a two-hour daily work detail cleaning the toilet block. Yeah, and he supposedly, I, I'm at this point, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase what's going on here. He supposedly became a born-again Christian, and he was in May of 1994, he was baptized in a prison whirlpool mm. um, by a Roy Ratcliffe, a minister of the Church of Christ and a graduate of the Oklahoma Christian University. Following the baptism, Radcliffe uh, visited Dahmer on a weekly basis up until November 1994. Radcliffe and Dahmer regularly discussed the prospect of death, and Dahmer questioned whether he was sinning against God by continuing to live. Referring to his crimes in a 1994 interview with Stone Phillips on Dateline, Dahmer had stated, if a person doesn't think that there is a God to be accountable to, then what's the point of trying to modify your behavior to keep it within acceptable ranges? That's how I thought anyway. Now, on July, 4, July 3rd, 1994, an inmate, Osvaldo Doruthi, attempted to slash Dahmer's throat with a razor embedded in a toothbrush as Dahmer sat in the prison chapel after the weekly church service. 
Dahmer received superficial wounds and was not seriously hurt in this accident. According to Dahmer's family, he had long been ready to die and accepted any punishment which he might endure in prison. In addition to his father and stepmother's regular maintaining regular contact, Dahmer's mother's Dahmer's mother, Joyce, also maintained regular contact with her son. Prior to his arrest, the two had not seen each other since Christmas 1983. Joyce related that in her weekly phone calls, whenever she expressed concerns for her son's physical well-being, Dahmer responded with comments to the effect of, It doesn't matter, Mom. I don't care if something happens to me. Yep. And then and on the morning of uh, November 28th, he left his cell to conduct his assigned work detail. He had two other inmates with him, Jesse Anderson and Christopher Scarver, and they were left unsupervised in the shower of the prison gym for about 20 minutes or so. Around 8.10 a.m., Dahmer was discovered on the floor of the bathrooms of the gym suffering from extreme head wounds. He had been severely bludgeoned about the head and face with a 20-inch metal bar. His head had been repeatedly struck against the wall in the assault. And even though he was still alive at the time, he was pronounced dead about an hour later. Uh, Anderson had also been beaten with the same instrument, and he died two days later from his wounds. Uh, Scarver, who was serving a life sentence for a murder committed in 1990, uh, informed the authorities he had attacked Dahmer first with the metal bar because Dahmer was cleaning a staff locker room before attacking Anderson as Anderson cleaned the inmate locker room. Uh, he said Dahmer didn't yell or make any noise when he was attacked and immediately attacked after attacking both men, Scarver, who uh, they thought had schizophrenia, into his cell and informed prison guard, God told me to do it. Jesse Anderson and Jeffrey Dahmer are dead. He was adamant that he had not planned the attacks in advance, although he later divulged to investigators that he did conceal the 20-inch iron bar used to kill both men in his clothing shortly before the killings. So his mother was not happy and went to the media and said, now is everybody happy now that he he's bludgeoned to death? Is that good, good enough for everybody? Um, he was cremated, and his ashes were divided between his parents. So the the big thing with with this uh, whole thing is most, if not all, of the men that he killed were men of color. Yes. That is a huge thing because Jeffrey Dahmer was a white man. And I'm bringing this up because uh, it's come, uh, not that it's come to light. Obviously, people, I'm sure, have learned about it, but people that are just learning about it now are learning about it because, as Mary, you mentioned, a Netflix series was just created starting yes. Evan Peters um, called Dahmer, where he plays Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer. And my PSA, basically, is there's a lot of females, young females, typically white females, who are romanticizing Dahmer because yes. of Evan Peters. And this isn't the first yes. time this has happened. No. Like Zac Efron played Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy and it was yeah. romanticized enough when he was on trial. Uh, yeah. But And then having Zac Efron play 
who's a heart, you know, a heartthrob in Hollywood. You know, people mm-hmm. romanticize about that. I mean, it's happened all over the place and not to bring him up all the time, but even like Sebastian Stan played Cannibal and Fresh. And mm-hmm. the things I see online about people romanticizing the character, it's disgusting. Like, it is. what are you because- doing? Well, because, I mean, as most people know that have listened to our podcast from the beginning, both myself and Sam are, we're huge fans of Sebastian Stan. We always have been. Yes. I mean, for, for, for a very long time. I mean, I've been a fan of his since 2006. Yeah, I've been a long time. However, ago. yeah, it's it's been a long time that I've been a fan of his. I mean, a very long time. However, as much as I'm a huge fan of the actor... A lot of the characters that he plays, I am not a fan of the characters that he plays. Like we can go Jeff Galuli. Right. That that character, he was not a good person. That character was not a good person. Yeah. Jeff Galuli. I Tommy made, like, Lee. Hello. <laughs> Tom, exactly. Tommy Lee was I was getting ready to say Tommy Lee is the next one. And obviously the 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 cannibal in the movie Fresh. Yes, I enjoy watching Sebastian Stan play all these characters. I am not romanticizing at all any of the characters that he has played that have been on the more that have that are morally and I can't even say they're morally morally ambiguous because they're not. They're more they're on the moral they're on the wrong moral side of things. Right. There's a difference between appreciating an actor's ability. Exactly. And romanticizing the actual character. And exactly because saying I, you wish I, that I, they I, could do something to you and it's like you're you're no god no because i i like evan peters i think he's a very good actor yes. i mean i've liked him since i've been since i watched um american horror story was where i first found was where, where i first saw him he is a good actor i'm not saying that he's not a good actor he's a damn good actor same with zach efron However, they're playing two characters that are absolutely reprehensible people. And they're based on you real cannot tell people. Me that Jeffrey, like, yes, you cannot tell me that Jeffrey Dahmer, after listening to everything that we read about what Jeffrey Dahmer did, you cannot tell me that he was a good person. He was not a good person. He is a man that is, if whether you believe in it or not, I firmly believe that this is a man that is burning in the hottest fiery depths of hell i believe that with every fiber of my being right he he is he is in the the fieriest pits of hell along with ted bundy along with any other serial killer that we know of they are not good people you you do not kill people if you're a good person right yeah and and you know, it, so the reason why I brought this up was because, you know, as most of you know, I do go on TikTok and stuff like that. And, you know, black TikTok has been posting a lot about how upset they are because of these, you know, young white girls that are romanticizing about this murderer that killed men of color, boys of color, yeah. you know, like that was who he preferred. Exactly. And, you know, then you hear, oh, it's just a movie. It's not just a movie. It's a replication no. of what happened in real life. Like, you need to show respect. 
you need to show respect right. and and you romanticizing on the character and not just the actor you know is ridiculous and it's one of the reasons why like i hate that hollywood has gone into you know let's tell these stories all over again and like i haven't watched Dahmer, so i can't sit here and tell you like i've heard Same. a lot of things i've heard you know that it's it's horrible and you know it, i didn't it doesn't watch, i didn't watch the ted bundy one either i did so. watch the ted bundy one I did not watch the Ted Bundy one. Um, but, like, my, my hope is just that, like, they just don't romanticize it. And I just think Hollywood needs to just step away from, you know, the this stuff. And I get it. You know, it's yeah. it's been a while, obviously, since all that mm -hmm. happened. Even Ted Bundy, it's been a long time since since he died and uh, and all that. But it's just... You know, and, yeah. and unfortunately, the victim's families are still alive because it wasn't that long ago. And No, because I, I remember hearing about this. I don't mean, obviously, I don't remember all of it because, I mean, I wasn't that old. But I remember a lot of this because I was like 10 when he was, what was I? I was 10 when he was found, you know? Yeah. Like I was, I no, I was nine when he was found. I was ten when he was convicted. I was ten years old. I, I remember a lot of this. Yeah. About about Jeffrey Tomer. I mean. Yeah. And I I have to I have to re, uh, say something. I said that um, Stephen Toomey was not dismembered. He was dismembered. Okay. His body was dismembered in the basement of his of Dahmer's grandmother's house, and the remains were discarded in the trash. However, no remains were ever found of the victim. Right. That is probably why he was not convicted of murdering Stephen Tudor. It just sucks. It just sucks. Yes. No. It so does. I mean, I know the the victims' families are are crying foul on Netflix. Um, the, and I don't blame yeah, them because it's re-traumatizing them, kind of hearing yes. again their family members went through because in that trial they went through everything and uh you know so to hear that your your loved one what happened to them is is horrible and to now have to do it again you know years later for entertainment is is horrible so just my psa just think about that you know when you go to watch yeah. certain things just remember that this was real life actually happened to people and that their families are still dealing with it on a daily basis and for you to romanticize about the character the, the person that actually did it is horrible again you can appreciate the actor's work um but don't don't romanticize the character because jeffrey dahmer was a despicable despicable human being he was so. That is... He he is not somebody that should ever ever be romanticized or seen in a flattering light because there's nothing flattering about the man. Right. Nothing. Thanks for listening, everyone. Catch us next time and see what we're going to talk about. Because the three fates decide.